Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, thank you for joining us today on the program. And uh, we want to say thank you for uh, your responses so far to what we're sharing. Uh, it's been overwhelming, and we are grateful for that. We really uh, appreciate when you uh, let us know via email or uh, with your comments, what you're receiving from this teaching. We've been doing a series on the book of Revelation. I wrote a book in 2007 called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and there will be information on the screen where you can get a copy of this book. But we've been teaching from it now for several weeks. I might also say, uh, by way of uh, just announcing to you, uh, we are coming to a city near you. I am a traveling mobile ministry, and uh, we preach somewhere different almost every week, and uh, we are absolutely enjoying meeting many of you, our viewing audience, for the first time. Please come up to us and let us know you're there because of television. It really encourages us to know uh, who we're reaching and uh, where, uh, where you're uh, hearing us from and all of that. We deeply, deeply are grateful for your attendance in these meetings. And you can go to my website. It has a whole listing of my itinerary. And come be part of a meeting where we're sharing and preaching uh, the gospel of the grace of God and the kingdom of God. Uh, last week we started talking about, again, I just did a little bit of review because we've, uh, like I said, we've been teaching for several weeks now from this book on the book of Revelation. And we've got up to the book, uh, up to the church at Thyatira. I'm going to continue to springboard from there uh, again uh, today. And I just simply want to read this verse uh, from, again, this is in my book, but uh, uh, chapter 9 is titled Thyatira. It says, Under the angel of the church in Thyatira write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. That's probably uh, maybe all the further I'll get this to today on the program. But the word Thyatira, literally, it literally means the incense of affliction. The very first thing that I want to really share with you is that Christ reveals himself to each one of these churches before he ever asked them to repent or to change their mind about anything, he gives them a revelation of who he is in the midst of that church that will give them the ability to change. Now, let me say to you that uh, uh, the revelation that he's uh, wanting to give to this church, he, first of all, this is the church whose name means the incense of affliction. But in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, in verse number two, it says this, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And so what he reveals himself to the church, whose name means the incense of affliction, what he's trying to get them to focus on is not their affliction, but the incense of his affliction that's already went up into the nostrils of God as a sweet-smelling savor. God was pleased with the sacrifice that Jesus became and was, not just for us or on our behalf, but even as us. He was literally the sacrifice so that the incense that God smelled that was satisfying to his nostrils is that Christ was the incense of suffering. I, I, you know, one of the things that I believe is a major misconception 
in the churches. And one of the paradigm shifts that must be made, and again, the message to the seven churches is one of repentance, which means change the way you think, have a paradigm shift. And so one of the things he's saying to them is the thing that you need to have a paradigm shift about is you need to have a paradigm shift about understanding his suffering was in fact your suffering. And so, and he goes on further to say to them, his eyes are like unto a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass as if they had burned, I believe, in a furnace. Now, it, that's a direct connection. A couple of things that I want to bring out about that. His eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. The first thing I want to talk about is that uh, the, the feet like fine brass. Let me just talk about that one a little bit. If you would take, and again, we have already laid a lot of this down. It's almost impossible to review it and come back and then try to grab all the concepts. You can go back, by the way, on YouTube and see anything we've aired to date to kind of get a little bit of refreshed on this. But if you took the tabernacle of Moses and much of the stuff that you will see in the book of Revelation is furniture from the tabernacle of Moses. When you get to the book of Revelation and you start seeing seven golden candlesticks, Folks, they're somewhere else in the Scripture. It's over in the book of Exodus. When you see altars of incense, and this one he's talking about incense, you go back to the uh, tabernacle of Moses, there was an altar of incense. You go back to the book of Exodus, there's a guy who made incense offerings. And all of these things, uh, when you see mercy seats, and you see uh, uh, throne rooms and mercy, all of this stuff was from the tabernacle of Moses. Now, let me say to you that the furniture in the tabernacle of Moses was all arranged in the shape of a cross. The camp of Israel, when they were at rest, were camped in the shape of a cross. But the, the, the picture that I'm after is that every one of these pieces of furniture in the tabernacle was shaped, like I said, in the shape of a cross. All of them were at a bleeding spot of somewhere where Jesus had shed His blood for redemption. But throughout the tabernacle of Moses, there were different metals that were employed or used that were symbolic of something. For instance, brass symbolized judgment. Silver symbolized redemption. It was used as redemption money. Gold symbolized divine nature or deity. But when you come into the tabernacle of Moses, the very first thing you're going to come to is going to be a brazen altar or an altar made from brass. It was at that brass altar uh, with its horns and its grates and all of its ceremonial stuff that blood was shed there. And what that blood was shed there on the brass altar was because there was a judgment demanded for sin. Oh, there's so much to preach. I get excited about it when I start thinking about this. But if you would literally, let me just say it like this, if you would literally lay Jesus down across this tabernacle, like I said, in the shape of a cross, because all of it, once again, are pictures of redemption. In the volume of the book, it is written of Him. I don't think it's an accident when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with the disciples immediately after His resurrection. The Bible said, and beginning with Moses, He came through the law and the prophets, uh, telling them all things concerning himself out of the law and the prophets. I think he probably said to them, you remember that brazen altar where the blood was shed? That just took place on Calvary's hill. The true Lamb of God was just slain. Judgment 
was fully met. And the incense and the savor of that offering reached the nostrils of God. In Isaiah 53, he got a hold of that. He said, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God was so satisfied in the offering of the body of Jesus Christ that he said, I have seen the travail of his soul and I am satisfied. It was such a satisfying savor. But I submit to you that it's not only God that needs to smell this savor, but it's the church at Thyatira and the church you know, again, this had relevance with the first century church that was making the transition out of an old covenant into the new covenant. But here we are, it's relevant to us as well because here we are 2,000 years into the new covenant. And I believe if there's anything we need to do, it's get a revelation of the smell of this incense offering and say, hey, the incense of his suffering and the revelation of that will bring me up out of a suffering mentality and make me realize his suffering was enough for me. Because I believe as we get on down through here that that's one of the problems with the teaching of Jezebel to the church at Thyatira is she was seducing God's servants to commit fornication, to eat things offered unto idols. And we could sit around and talk about eating things offered to idols, but you know, in our day, we're not offering a steak to the god Dagon. But when I think about false images and false idols, I think about the things that are offered and many of our churches that are offered to people to feed on spiritual food to feed on that are false concepts or images of God. When I think about an image, I'm not thinking about a statue that you fall down and worship, but I am talking about there are some images in the chambers of our imagination. And interestingly enough, uh, when you get into this book of Revelation on down in this church at Thyatira, he promises her if she will overcome, uh, he will give her power over the nations. And the truth of it is, is I think some of these nations that we need power over are nations like our imagination and nations like condemnation. And I do believe it has an outflow uh, as well in the area of dominion over every uh, kind of uh, uh, nation. In other words, I believe the kingdom of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. But some of the nations that I believe need to be cast down are imaginations and false concepts that we fed on about God. And so whenever uh, this incense is offered, you know, uh, this, uh, 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 this, when, when, when this incense is offered to God as a smell, God smells it, but I believe we need also to smell it as well. But when he goes on to describe not only to this church who, 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 whose name means the incense of suffering, he says, what I want to reveal to you is that I am the one who has feet like fine brass as if they burned in the furnace. Now remember, he gives that revelation of himself in the very first chapter of this book. He gives them a multifaceted revelation of who he is in the midst of these churches. Because a revelation of Jesus to the church will produce a revelation of Jesus through the church. And once again, this word revelation itself is a Greek word, apocalypsis, and it means to uncover or to unveil what's been covered up. Can I tell you that I believe what's been covered up that we need to uncover is a revelation of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the thing that veils it over is when we read Moses, a veil is put over our face so that we can't see the end of what's abolished. Man, those are powerful concepts to me. We need a revelation of Jesus and His finished work more than anything else I believe in the world. We don't need another revelation of world events. or uh, We need a revelation of Jesus because if we can grab hold of what His death, burial, and resurrection produced for us, 
I'm telling you, we'll smell the incense of his affliction and say it was enough to satisfy to appease God. I will not let imaginations and condemnations and all these other nations afflict my mind until I no longer can stand and embrace the things of God. I believe that what he's simply saying is when you see that my feet are like fine brass, if you laid, once again, if you laid Jesus down over that tabernacle at a bleeding spot, his head would be in the most holy place. That would be gold. His head and his hair was white like wool, and uh, upper parts of his body was, as it were, pure gold. But when you get down to his feet, he describes his feet as if they were like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. He's giving that particular aspect of a revelation of himself to this church at Thyatira, and he's saying to them, I want you to look at my feet. I've already walked through the furnace of affliction for you. I've already suffered the penalty for you. He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. See, and I believe that as you see that, uh, you not only will see that uh, his feet his, were, were fine brasses if they burned in the furnace, but it goes on to describe him as the one who uh, had a vesture. Let me, just, let me just grab this from my book and, and read it to you. The second thing that he, he reveals to the church is that he has eyes like a flame of fire. The very same description that he uses of having eyes, eyes as a flame of fire is found later again in the book of Revelation. I believe it is in chapter 19. He said, uh, it's chapter 19, verse 12 through 14. He says, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. The imagery that's portrayed here reveals that the one whose eyes are like a fame, fame excuse me, the one whose eyes are like a flame of fire is the same one whose vesture is dipped in blood. He's the one who has redeemed you, washed you by his blood, and called you to walk in fine linen. He caused us to walk in fine linen, which literally means the righteousness of the saints. The death of Christ is what exacted that for us. See, this is the, the, the repentance that he's asking this church. He's getting them to get some kind of a revelation of his eyes and what he sees. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet like fine brass. In other words, he's seeing you through the eyes of a judgment that is not in your future, but a judgment that is in your past. And what he has declared through that judgment is he's declared us to be righteous and that we have robes that have been made clean and that our righteousness is not a product of works and labor, but it is a product literally of a gift of God so that we can walk before him in white. I believe that there's such a, uh, a, a repentance that's needed in, in this area where we can find ourselves understanding what Jesus did. Now let me say also that not only did Jesus do that uh, as the one who died for us, that he might present us to God not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, any such thing. Ephesians 5 says that uh, that's not something he's going to do. I believe that's something he already did when he gave himself. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might present her to himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. 
That's not something he's going to do. That's something he's already done. He's presented us to himself in white, Arrayed, I believe that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by virtue of what He did in His death, burial, and His resurrection. But the second piece of brass furniture that I believe that is really uh, predominant in my mind, especially for this segment, is that the, was not only the brazen altar where the blood was shed and the sacrifice was given and the judgment was fully met in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ there at the brazen altar, but the second dimension of it is the brazen laver. Now, what the brazen laver or the brass laver was, was it was a piece of furniture that was made from the looking glasses of the women who sat by the door of the tabernacle according to the book of Exodus. Moses said, bring me your brass mirrors. And he bought them their shiny brass mirrors. Uh, they beat it into a great big uh, basin, if you would, and it was made from the looking glasses of the women. This brass second piece of furniture, once you move beyond the altar where the blood was shed, so we're blood bought, and now we're about to step up to another piece of furniture that's made from brass women's mirrors or looking glasses. And this is incredible to me. But the water that was in that brass laver or basin came from the smitten rock. Now that's powerful to me. So the rock that smitten, they, the water came from the smitten rock. Now we know, according to the scripture, that Jesus himself said uh, that the rock followed them in the wilderness, and that rock was Christ. Water came out of the smitten rock. What are you saying, Brother House? I'm telling you that life comes from the fact that Jesus was smitten 2,000 years ago. We can drink from a well of water that flows out to us, that gives us life because he was wounded again for my transgression because he was beaten, because he was smitten out of his death. There flows life to you and I. Secondly, not only was this brass piece of furniture full of water from the smitten rock, but when they would take the blood of the sacrifices and they would take them on in uh, to sprinkle and the hyssop and the blood that would be brought, they would literally wash the pieces of these sacrifices in this labor. They would wash their hands and they would wash their feet as they would get ready to go into the holy place. Now you say, well, what significance is that? I, I, what I'm trying to tell you is that if you would simply walk up to this brass sea, let's imagine this coffee table today is that piece of brass furniture that was in the tabernacle of Moses. It's full of water from the smitten rock, but now it's mingled with the blood of the sacrifice. What would happen if you looked into the water, let me say it like this, if you looked into the mirror and you looked into this water, what you would have to do is see yourself through the blood. I'm telling you that was worth tuning in for today because I believe if God's people would see themselves through the blood, the offering of this or the smell of this incense that was a sweet savor to the nostrils of God. The Thyatira's name again means the off, or, 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 or the incense of suffering. That what you would begin to realize as you see yourself through the blood is, I'm seeing myself as a finished work in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And when I see myself, that's what transforms my life. Now I'm going to tell you something else that I believe, and I, this is a powerful part of the gospel that I believe really needs to be emphasized, and that is at the outer court again the brass altar spoke of the judgment that Jesus was for us. The brazen sea or the brazen uh, 
laver speaks of water baptism and our identification with it. We're blood-bought. Now we come to the brazen sea or the brazen laver, and we identify with that death in water baptism. See, I believe that one of the things that we have missing, especially in the grace message, is that we teach only the objective side of the gospel. I call that the way of grace. Or we teach only the subjective side of the gospel, which is man's response to it. And what you have is you have two completely opposing views seemingly because you've got this group over here saying, oh no, no, it's all about what Jesus did in His redemptive work. It is the way of grace. And I am absolutely on board. I teach that. I declare it. I preach it strong. The objective side of it is what God did in Christ without any participation from you. But uh, uh, not only is the objective side of the gospel uh, over here, in other words, Jesus in fact died for my sin. But it's not just the objective side. See, what happens is we fall out over stuff because when we preach just the acceptive objective side, we're going to be in strong Calvinistic thinking. But if we teach the other side of it where it's all about, no, it's about man's response. It's about what you do. And what's going to happen is you're going to come over to the strong Arminian side of it. And what we do is we get in fights because we pick our pet scriptures, they pick their pet scriptures. Here's what I want to say to you. It is not either or. It is both of them held in careful tension. It's not just objective, but it's also subjective. It is not only the way of grace, it is also the walk of faith. It is what Jesus did, what God did in Christ Jesus, but it's also my identification with that. Uh, I, I like how, uh, let me just try to be clear about this a little bit more. One of the things, Romans the fifth chapter, in the Message Bible especially, I believe it is around verse 17, it says, here it is in a nutshell. One man did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. Now, I love that. That's a powerful scripture. But there's a lot of people who are emphasizing Romans 5 without emphasizing Romans 6. But then one man, he, what he's talking about is one man did it wrong, got us in all this trouble. Adam was the one with sin and death. But Jesus comes along. He does it right and gets us out of trouble. Now, most people are happy just to be out of trouble. But the next part of that scripture says, but more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life. And so most people are glad just to be out of trouble. But I came to tell you, he didn't just come to get you out of trouble. He came to get you into a life and a life that goes on and on and on. See, I, I don't know about you, but I want the abundant life on every level. And then he goes on to say in the sixth chapter of Romans, which most people that want to emphasize uh, all the objective side are going to preach Romans 5. But Romans 6 says this, so what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? Let me back up before I do that. Uh, let me, let me, let me uh, back up into the fifth chapter. It says, one man said no to God and put many people in the wrong, and one man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. So what do we do? This is the sixth chapter now. See, this is where we move from simply the objective side, the way of grace, uh, 
to now we enter into the walk of faith. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? I like to say it like this. You have left the old country of sin and you've moved into Graceland and Adam has left the building. <laughs> I like that. Hallelujah. But how can we still live in our old house? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind and we came up out of the water. We entered into the new country of grace, a new life and a new land. I live in Graceland. I like that. So the reality of it is water baptism and this second piece of furniture called the brazen laver was where we got water baptized. It's where we start to identify with the death that was his death. And so when I identify with that death as being his death, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? He said that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin miserable life. No longer sins ever beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin conquering death, we also get included in his life saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the end of the signal of, of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. I could just shout. Hallelujah. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You're dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead and into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny of any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So since we're out from underneath the tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourself to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act, but offer yourself to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. I think that's just incredible. And when we identify with what he did and the incense of that savor comes to a revelation of us, the church at Thyatira will begin to say, hey, I'm not walking in an old identity and believing any lie, I'm a new creature in Christ and I'm going to live out of this with identification. We're running out of time. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. Tune in every week. Sow a seed into the ministry. It's what helps us keep the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of grace going around the world. Thank you for your time today. Tune in again tomorrow. God bless. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.